How's everybody today? You excited to be here? We are glad and thrilled to have you. We just want to say thank you for coming and being with us. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms. Um, if you're a guest today, we are so appreciative of your coming. We know there are a lot of great churches in West Memphis, Marion. Thank you for choosing Victory to come and worship with us and to celebrate our moms today. Uh, we're just thrilled to have you. Would you stand with us, please, as we read the Word of God today? We're in a series called On His Mark. It's the Mark of Christ. It's about the Gospel of Mark, and we are on number six today. The key text in this whole 16-chapter Gospel, this is the eyewitness account of the Apostle Peter, one of Jesus' first chosen disciples, and he tells it to one of his disciples by the name of John Mark. John Mark records it. This is the key verse to the whole Gospel of Mark because in Mark, Jesus is depicted as the great ox, the burden bearer, the servant of servants. So as we read this together this morning, that's our introduction. Here we go. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Let's bow our hearts together for a word of prayer. Great God, thank You that You are our provider. You are our guide. You are Father and You are Mother. Thank You that You are El Shaddai, the Mighty One. Thank you that you are Jehovah Rophe, the Lord who sees and provides. We acknowledge your presence in this place today. Thank you, Jesus, for your unspeakable gift of not coming to serve, but to serve and to give your life as a ransom for many. Thank you that you've called us to be a part of that group called the many. Thank you, Jesus. Today we honor you in this place. Thank you for our mothers. We wouldn't be here except for mom. Thank you for her prayers. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room this morning whose moms have already graduated to glory. Thank you that she is in your presence. Lord, we remember with fondness. Lord, those who might not be able to say that, we pray for the healing touch of Jesus Christ today in their hearts. As we celebrate this day, I acknowledge under the sound of everyone hearing my voice this morning that I cannot do anything apart from Jesus Christ. And I just ask you, Holy Spirit, you're the only teacher. You come and you open eyes to see and you unstop ears to hear. You give us perception and understanding. Anoint these words today. Weave in and out of them, Holy Spirit, and carry them personally and spe specified into the hearts of each and individual person in this place, I pray today. We'll be careful to give you all the praise and all the glory, all of God's people said Amen. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. We're in this series in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus brings to us the Gospel, which is the history-making, life-changing good news of Jesus Christ. Religion offers advice. Gospel is news. It is the word which signifies something dramatic has happened and it's changed history. It's altered lives. It is... It has adjusted the course, literally, of the universe. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the history-making, life-changing good news. News is something that has taken place. It's done. Okay, Religion offers advice of what you can do, but yet Jesus says it is done. He hung on the cross and says it's finished. And so the gospel is all about that news. This morning, we are well into Mark now. This is number 6. And I want to just jump in quickly because we're going to baptize too in just a few moments this morning at the close of this service. One of our youth and one of our children 
uh, under Pastor Haley, our children's pastor, and one of our youth under Pastor Jeremy and, and Heather. So we're excited about that happening this morning. I want to give ample time for that, for them to be able to just share a brief testimony of what the Lord has done in their hearts. Uh, but today I want to cover just a little bit of ground. We're going to sort of put this in turbo and hit the ground running. So if you would put up for me, please, Mark chapter 2, verses 13 and 17. You don't have to read out loud, but just follow along with me. Jesus, he went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. Now, what was Jesus teaching? Everybody say the gospel. Remember what the gospel is. He says, the time is at hand. It's fulfilled. Kingdom of God is at hand. It's within your reach. Repent and believe the good news. Repent. Change your idea about this thing. It's not a, no longer a one of these days coming in the sweet by and by kind of thing, but the kingdom of God is within your grasp. It's within your reach. Kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. So that's his message over and over and over and over. He's preaching to the poor. He's opening blind eyes. He's setting captives free. He's preaching, healing, delivering, teaching the gospel. All of this is just this big gospel panorama in his ministry. So he's teaching them. Next verse. And as he passed by, he saw Levi. Everybody say Levi. Now this is not the jeans you came in this morning. Levi Strauss, okay, but this is Levi who obviously is named very specially. We're going to talk about that in a moment. Everybody else say Levi. Okay, as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Next verse. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And there were many who followed him. Say that with me, the last two words, followed him, all right? And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? I, I love it. The message says, why is he hanging out with all this riffraff, okay? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners, Okay, so we have a little section here in Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Jesus calls Levi. Levi is going to be renamed Matthew. He is going to have the responsibility of writing the very, very specific, chronologically precise, genealogically accurate historically sound gospel of Matthew, one of the most powerful in the mix. And it's written specifically to the Jewish people to prove to them, because Matthew traces a very intricate genealogical heritage from Jesus all the way back through David, all the way back to Abraham. Because those are the two big Leaders in the Old Covenant. Promises God made to Abraham were land promises. As far as you can see, he says, I'm going to give it to you. And so the promises that God made Abraham were all of this land, the promised land, okay, is going to be yours. And look up, Abraham. Look down at the dust of the earth. Look out at the sands of the sea. Look up at the stars of the heaven. And as many as you see, if you can count, that's going to be how innumerable your seed is going to be. And I wish I had time to break into that, to preach that, because I don't, I don't have time. It's Mother's Day. i gotta got to get this said and get you out of here. <laughs> right. <laughs> Abraham. Abraham has some seed promises. He has some land promises. And David has a throne promise. As long, 
The Bible says God makes a promise to David and says, I'm going to see to it that someone of your lineage is going to be sitting on the throne of Judah. Every one of these promises are found, their fulfillment are found in Jesus Christ. Now, in the New Covenant, when this thing gets expanded, it's not just that little bitty one-inch square piece of geography at the right side of your Mediterranean Sea over here that we call Israel or became for a season known as Palestine. Samaria, Judea, that whole surrounding Syria to the north, Jordan around that, okay? We're not just talking about a little one-inch square on a map, a little bit of plot of dirt. But when this comes to the New Covenant, in Romans chapter 4, the Apostle Paul says, Abraham would become heir of the world. So the land that God promised to Abraham is not just a little spot in the Middle East, but it's literally the whole planet. And Jesus is the one who is the heir apparent of the whole world. And now as the seed of David, he has also the promise of sitting on the throne. So the land promised to Abraham is the earth and the throne promised to David is the right to rule it. Guess who's in charge of the planet, folks? Everybody say Jesus. Amen. Okay. So Matthew is called by Jesus. He's originally named Levi, but Jesus, when he calls folks, he likes to give them a whole fresh identity and a new name. Now, I want to give you a little bit of the backstory of Levi because it's really... Uh, very fascinating. Levi, obviously by his name, is headed for the priesthood. He is supposed to be. He is in the lineage of the Levitical tribe. You have to be born in that tribe to be part of the priesthood. God intended for the nation of Israel to be a whole nation of king priests to the rest of the world, that it would be the firstborn among the nations. Exodus 19, God takes him to the mount at Sinai. He throws a big fireworks display and he, uh, Moses comes down off the mountain with the Ten Commandments and it's just this great, big, huge, amazing display of the power and the glory and the, the presence of God. And in that moment, he tells them, he says, I want you to be a peculiar possession for me. I want you not peculiar in the sense of being strange but peculiar as in the sense of belonging to God, set apart for God's purpose. Now, within the nation itself, there were 12 tribes, but one of those tribes was dedicated to be a priestly tribe to the rest of all of those Israelites or those Hebrews, which was the tribe of Levi. Everybody say Levi. So we've come down generations. We've gone centuries now. We've gone some millennia. And we're up to the point where Jesus has been born. He's 30 now. He's come on the scene. His ministry has begun. He's been baptized by John. He's come preaching the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. And he's out around doing ministry. He's demonstrating. He's not just talking about the gospel. He's living the gospel. And he's one at a time calling disciples to come follow him, get in step with him, do life with him, go to the market with him, raise the dead with him, heal the sick with him, learn how to do everything that he does, and then you do it was the commissioning of Jesus to the disciples. And we find in this little narrative here where Jesus speaks to Levi and calls him. And the backstory about this is what makes it interesting. Levi didn't make it to the priesthood. Levi becomes a tax collector. It's very interesting. How in the world can somebody be marked? We dedicated a baby in the first service this morning, Cason Andrew Bishop. And Anytime I dedicate a baby, we raise them up in the presence of the Lord. And we talk about the history of that in the early church. And where the phrase raise your children even comes from. It doesn't even make sense except 
was at those walls of the city of Jerusalem where they would abandon babies and the church would go out and rescue them and raise them up where the elders of the city would sit in the gate in the governmental place. The church would raise the child up and say, we dedicate ourselves to committing this time to raising this child in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's where the phrase raise your kids comes from, from that very early church practice of identifying what they didn't have abortion in those days and so they would just abandon the children. So I raised up Cason this morning and I prophesied over him and I called him by his name. Cason means brave, vigilant. Andrew means trustworthy, manly, loyal. And I talked about for a moment, every time Andy and Christy Bishop call the name of that child, they're calling him brave, they're calling him vigilant, they're calling him trustworthy, loyal. Can you imagine when Christy gets a little ticked off and says, Cason Andrew! She's basically saying, hey, little brave, vigilant, trustworthy, loyal man, get your backside in here. You better be brave too when you show up. They didn't name their children randomly. It was for a specific, prophetic, historical purpose. And so when Alpheus named his son Levi, he had intentions. There was a prophetic destiny upon his life. He had a purpose. He was, he was alive for a reason. He was going to be the priest in this Levitical house. And the sad story is, is that he didn't cut the mustard. He took his ACT test for college, his SATs, and he didn't make it good enough to get accepted by a rabbi. Because the way you were trained in those days was not a university system. It was a mentorship, a one-on-one, and you would attach yourself, which is the same picture of what Jesus does with his disciples, a master teacher to, to students that come along and follow him. So Levi was looking for a a rabbi, a rabboni to attach himself to and follow around and do life with and learn the intricacies of the law of God. All of the expectations of God concerning the commandments of the Lord for Israel in terms of the nation, in terms of the ceremonies, in terms of uh, the moral law and all of these codes that they had to know and Because it began as Ten Commandments, it ended up 613 laws, not counting all of the fence laws that the Pharisees had added to it. Literally some 1,500 that only pertain to the Sabbath alone in the Talmud and the other Jewish writings, not contained in our Pentateuch of Penta, meaning five. Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the books of Moses. So they would literally become prolific and be taught in, and schooled in the books of Moses in the, in, in, in the major and the minor prophets and they would learn the law, the Psalms, the prophets, the writings. And every young Levitical priest wannabe would try to find a rabbi to attach himself to and there were those that were great, well known. As you know, later on when you read the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul learned at the feet of Gamaliel, which was the best of the best. Levi didn't make the cut he got a rejection letter from the university of the rabbi. and So he wasn't received and he experienced the personal disappointment of getting a letter in the mail that said, we're sorry, but we are going to be looking elsewhere. Levi experienced the sting of rejection. He experienced the disappointment of a family that had invested in him his whole life and called him Levi. Greek word, Hebrew word means joined, joined to the Lord. And so he feels disconnected. He feels disjointed from the purpose of God. And his dad, having a little bit of money, actually buys for him what is very common in the the Roman Empire. Julius Caesar has come to the throne, taken over. He's already been slain in the Senate by his friend Brutus. 
His great nephew Octavius inherits the throne. He gave him and willed it to him. Strange that that happens. No elections in those days. Octavius becomes the new Caesar and the Senate recognizes his leadership and they give him the name August or Augustus, which is the Caesar that was alive when Jesus was born. And so as the Roman Empire starts to grow and spreads out all of its tentacles and its power around the whole Mediterranean Sea Basin, Western Europe, Eastern Europe, Northern Africa, Tunisia, the whole Arab Peninsula area, the whole East, Middle Eastern section of, of Israel today, all of that was underneath the Roman Empire. And the way they funded all of the Roman roads that they were building, which Paul was going to use later to spread the gospel, I mean, you know, somebody has to pay for all that stuff. If the empire is going to grow, if the roads are going to get built, everybody say taxes. So they had tax farmers is what they were called in the Roman Empire. Now in the Bible we call these tax collectors. Alpheus had a little bit of money and so he goes to the Roman Empire and he actually buys a franchise. Tax collectors in this day were like IRS agents over a region who were deputized in authority over the people that they were, would make requirements of. And let's just say the Roman Empire says Andy owes $10. But now, the person who's, been, who's bought, basically bought this right to be a deputized IRS agent has the ability now, he makes his money by overcharging Andy. Andy owes $10 to the Roman Empire. He doesn't exactly know how much it is. And so Levi, now who's sitting in a tax franchise, tax collecting position, he charges Andy 20 bucks. And if Andy doesn't pay $20, then Levi can throw him in jail. Now, this was brilliant by the Roman Empire historically because they would always use the indigenous people to do that. It would be sort of their magistrates underneath them. And because of that, the tax collectors were about the lowest of the low. They were some of the most hated people in the Hebrew society. If we could compare it to today in terms of uh, those that you probably, in terms of lack of respect, lack of honor... And the way it's changed over the last few years, we're talking about some of those shark lawyers that are ambulance chasers. We're talking about some used car salesmen. We're talking about some TV evangelists and some preachers in the bunch. I mean, we're talking about pretty much the lowest of the low. There's, there was a time when a pastor had a great deal of respect uh, in a community. And in a community, he certainly can. But as far as a national perception about it because of the fall of so many TV ministries and the constant pulling from money, they're right down there pretty much with the Ambulance chasing lawyers. And so that's where, that's where Levi is. He's experienced the disappointment of a family. He's experienced the sting of rejection of his own people because he's doing something against his own fellow Jewish Hebrew brothers and sisters. He's not only requiring what Rome requires, but he's lining his own pockets and getting rich doing it. And what I want you to see is that Jesus sees something in you in the very same way that he saw something in Levi. Levi had disappointed his parents. He disappointed his friends and family. And his dad just sort of out of a last-ditch effort went and bought him a franchise in the tax farmership business. Levi's been rejected. Levi's been hated. And he's befriended a lot of the same kind of folks that are hated, kind of the lower rung of society. And you know what? Jesus is not afraid of any of those folks. I love it that Jesus sees something in people that religious folks can't see. Jesus sees something in you this morning that maybe some other religious folks or other places, maybe some other churches, you might not be as welcome. Let me tell you something. We 
labor to make sure that we continue to have a growing atmosphere of grace in this place because it's too easy to get disconnected from what I used to be. And you can become a Pharisee. You can get Pharisaitis. You, 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 you can start to think, hey, you know what? I've been coming to church. I'm in the Word. My, 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 my relationship's better than it's ever been. My money's getting in order. My kids are actually obeying me. They're respecting me. And, and you start to step back and go, hmm, I've kind of got this thing going on. And you tip your hat. And before you know it, you've got SRS, self-righteousness syndrome. you got some Pharisaitis. And all these folks are questioning Jesus. Why is it your guy is hanging out with all of this low life? The message Bible says, why is he hanging out with all this riffraff? This is what I want you to see. The religious folks are always concerned. Their mission is maintaining a holy image. Jesus is about restoring holiness to your broken image, the image of God in your life. Come on, somebody. Put your hands together. Let's give the Lord praise this morning. Jesus is about broken people and about restoring the broken image of God. And He is bigger than and He is stronger than anything that you've disappointed yourself or you've disappointed others or you've been disappointed or you've been hurt or you've been rejected. He's, he's got it. Come on, somebody. And He takes Levi and the amazing thing is He changes His name to Matthew. Matthew is the Greek word mathetes, which means disciple or student, what Levi wanted to be and couldn't be as Levi, Jesus made him become that in his new identity. Matthew means, we get the Greek word mathetes for student, for disciple, for learner. And so Jesus gives Matthew the very thing that he couldn't have before. He gets it in a whole new identity now in Christ. Come on, somebody. I love that. Next section, and I want to move quickly this morning. Mark chapter 2, verse 18 through 22 they're challenging Jesus with some religious questions about fasting. I believe in fasting. I think fasting is important. It is literally giving up something, abstaining usually food for a specified period of time for the purpose of intensifying my prayer, for dealing with my desires, for, for mortifying my own flesh so that I can bring my own heart in subjection to what I know the will of God is. Fasting is a spiritual discipline. It is for training. It's like a spiritual gym. You go into it. You're not doing it to earn the favor of God. You do it because you know you already have the favor of God in salvation. And you're doing it as a spiritual discipline to make your own heart right and humble before the Lord to be able to hear and understand His voice and give his, to receive His direction. Okay? All that He gives is a gift. But many times we have our own obstacles that stand in the way. And so they come asking some good questions. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting and people came and said to him, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast but your disciples do not fast? Okay. The next verse Jesus answered the question. He says to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. He says, look, I am the answer to every human need you have. Now, I can only say that representatively of Jesus this morning. I'm not that. Jesus alone is. Let me say this. There's an irony sometimes of leadership, and I just want to say it. It, 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 it amazes me sometimes how imperfect followers expect a perfect leader. Everybody in the room's imperfect, and we, we readily acknowledge that. But then when you, maybe you get close enough to a leader to see he's not as perfect as you think he is or she is, or a person that's your team leader or your pastor or whatever. 
It's amazing to me how we're so ready. We were ready to receive the grace that was given to us when we came in, but we almost come with a bag of rocks ready to stone when we find out something isn't quite exactly right. God, help us all to remember we've got to have grace. Nobody in the room is finished. God's in process with all of us. And I'll be the representative one to say to you, there's not but one perfect leader and his name is Jesus. No pedestals around here. The pastor doesn't have a special place. Not any of us on our pastoral staff. We are sheep just like everybody else in the room. Struggle just like everybody else in the room. Pray. Sometimes I don't feel like having faith. Sometimes I'm not in the mood and I have to get my own self in line, just like I have to sometimes tell you and say, listen, this is what God's called us to do. Yes, are you hearing me this morning? There's still, we're, I'm not divine. I'm human with divine on the inside of me, and I have to let that divinity, which is the Spirit of Christ, come out. Jesus, there in the midst of them, says, you don't fast when you've got everything you need in front of you. That's the very presence of Jesus. He's our healer. He's our savior. He's our shepherd, our guard, our guide, our provider. Everything you can imagine, our sustenance, our peace, our joy, our wholeness, everything. He's all of that. You got the bridegroom here. You don't fast with intensified prayer, seeking it because you've got him right in your face. He's here in your presence. But he says the day will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast in that day which is where we are now. We have his presence in us, but we're longing to see him, flesh, bone, look him in the eye, see Jesus in the face, be changed fully. We have been delivered from the penalty of sin. The power of sin has been broken over us, but thank God there will come a day when completely all of the presence of sin will be eradicated from every one of our lives, but that's not until we see him face to face when we are changed into his image and his likeness. I long for that day. The day's not here yet. The day's yet to come. And so I fast, I pray, I seek his face. Next verse, please. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. Jesus is very specific about talking about the blend of new and old. There are times when he talks about the importance of having both, and there are times when he shows the distinction between the two in that you don't take an old, already proven, tried, washed multiple times garment that's already been stretched to fit you it, it's, it's like there's nothing like a good pair of jeans that fit your body, okay? It's just they're, they, they've, they're you. They're molded to you. Yeah, they come out of the dryer a little bit, but then you, you put them on for a few hours, and then, man, it's like, mm, that's great, okay? And so Jesus is saying you don't take something like that and then try where there's a hole in it and sew some new, unshrunk, different kind of fabric into it because the patch will tear when you wear it, when you work through it. Uh, when you wash it, it's going to tear away, and so you have to match. It's important, he's saying, about living a life of renewal, not always staying in the old way of thinking, but putting a whole, a whole new mindset. Remember, his, he says the kingdom's at hand. Repent. Repent is metanoia. It's change your thinking, change your mind. Change your mind about these things. And the challenge that we have all of us, and he was talking to the Pharisees in that day, is that you've heard this one way, guys, and I'm going to just share with you, you, did, you didn't quite get it exactly the right way, and you're going to hear a new way. It's going to be like a new piece on old cloth. It won't work unless you let the Spirit of God renew and make you a new person, a new garment. Next verse. He, he takes this on to another step, and he says, And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is destroyed and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. The beautiful way of making wine among the Israelite people was the harvesting of the grapes and they put them into vat, to the vat and, 
and they're, they're dancing on the vat and the, and the grape harvest and they're celebrating and the, the grapes are being crushed and the juice is running and it's being caught into animal skins, wine skins that are new. Why do you think it's important to put that fresh new wine into a new wine skin? Because over a period of time, that wine is going to ferment and it's going to stretch. It's going to enlarge in its place where it is. And if it goes into an old wine skin, what happens? When it enlarges, the wine skin bursts and the wine is spilled out and wasted. Jesus says, so we don't put new wine into old wine skins. We have to put fresh wine into fresh new wine skins. And this is the picture of the Holy Spirit coming into a new life and it gets on the inside of you and starts working in the same fermenting, powerful way that, that fresh wine becomes aged, wonderful, mature wine. Because it starts to enlarge, it starts to grow you, it starts to enlarge your faith and spread you out and increase your flexibility and grow your patience and see your vision expand and God gets bigger to you. Uh, really, He's not gotten bigger at all. He's just given you the ability to see more of Him is what's happening. And all that starts growing and enlarging and expanding. And if you take that precious Holy Spirit and you put it into something old that can't grow, can't change, well, we've never done it that way. This is the way Granny did it. So we're going to do it the way Granny did it. We have to continue to remain new and fresh and pliable and flexible and be willing to experience and look at things from a whole new, fresh perspective. That's what Jesus is saying. Guys, you know what? You know the law, but you ain't got it. You've totally missed it. You've, you've got the letter of it, but you've missed the whole spirit of this whole thing. Too many times the Old Testament word for murmur, the word murmur literally is the picture of a wineskin that no longer has any wine in it, but it's got the gas buildup of having set out in the sun and the dryness, the, 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 the dryness, the spiritual dryness that comes when a person is not spending time with the Lord or brothers and sisters or letting the Spirit of God get inside and do a work on them and just the gaseous buildup and you bump against them. It, the, literally the word murmur was, was an onomatopoeia word. You remember that from like your seventh grade English class, onomatopoeia, are all those words that are sound like words, buzz, click, hiss. Those are words that are just made to sound like what you heard. The word murmur is a Hebrew onomatopoeia. It literally is murmur. It's the sound of bumping against uh, an inflated wineskin that has nothing but gas on the inside of it because the wine is all, it's never been kept replenished. The wine of the Holy Spirit has not been kept on the inside of that believer's heart and you bump them and a complaint pops out. You bump them and they murmur. <laughs> murmur. And so I would just ask you to check yourself. You know, when you're, when you're jostling around in the affairs of life and the circumstances that happen with people, is there praise and joy and new wine coming out or is it a murmur? Because if you're murmuring, it's a real good in, indication of what's down on the inside, which is nothing but some gas. And I, I'll, I'll leave that alone. Use some spiritual gas X. I'll tell you, we keep it real here at Victory. Are you getting anything out of this? Last one. Ooh, I got to finish. We got to baptize some people. No, uh, 22 through 28, uh, Mark chapter 2. Here we go. On Sabbath, everybody say the seventh day. One seventh day, one Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields and they made their way. The disciples, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. Tell somebody the disciples were hungry. The Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? So we got a good legitimate religious question being asked by some folks that are Really great at dotting every I and crossing every T. The Hebrew would say every jot and every tittle. The smallest demarcations in the language. 
Okay? He said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence. Man, I'd love to. I wish I had 30 more minutes so that I could explode this big message in you here. No, I don't. Uh, there is Tabernacle of Moses, they're sitting there at the table of showbread. It's bread that's been in the presence of God that only the priests have the ability to eat. But David who's a man after God's own heart. He's out on the run with his men, with his mighty men. Saul's still chasing him down. They head in there. They're hungry to get something to eat, and they just go in and take the bread. And he says, you know what? Do you remember David, this guy that you revere? He ate the bread of the presence, which is only supposed to be for the priest, and lightning didn't come out of heaven and strike him down. You guys don't even get this. You're blowing it. You're missing it entirely. And he gave it also to those who were with him. Next verse. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man. I want you to read this out loud with me. This is so important. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. One last verse. Here we go. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And as I finish this this morning, I'm going to grab about five minutes here. The disciples are just hungry. Here comes the Pharisees again asking some religious questions. This is not lawful. You're not supposed to do that. You've got to remember with me, if you would please, about the Sabbath. It's the seventh day. It comes after six days of work. It is a designated day of rest. That's the pattern of creation in Genesis 1 and 2. God worked six days, put it all into being by the power of His spoken word, divine fiat. God declares the word of the Lord. Heavens and the earth are created. He does it in six days. He rests the seventh. We see the principle. It's all over the word. You work. You work, you work, you work. You do that six days in a row. And then on the seventh day, you've earned your season of rest. And they were very specific. What began as Ten Commandments. The fourth one is remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. I'm going to give them to you very quickly. These are the big ten. No other gods. No idols before my face. Don't take my name in vain. Number four right here. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The first four have to do with God. They are the upreach bar of the cross. The last six, six is the number of man. Man was created on the sixth day. The last six commandments deal with men, and that's the outreach bar of the cross. It begins with the first human relationship you have, which are your parents. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the earth. The Apostle Paul grabbed that in Ephesians 6. He says that's the first commandment that came with a promise, saying if you'll do the right thing, not just one day a year on Mother's Day, but you honor your mama and your daddy and you respect them. And you take care of them in their old age. And you love them. You honor them. The Bible says it's a promise. It'll make, he'll make your days to be long upon the earth. and will make them to be blessed days. That's commandment number five. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten. No murder, no adultery, no stealing, no lying or bearing false witness. Number ten, no covet. No coveting. So the first four deal with our relationship to God. The last six deal with our relationship to our brothers and sisters. Jesus died on that cross of upreach to God, outreach to people. That's where I get on a cross and die to myself to say, I reach to you. I'll have no other gods before me, no idols. I won't take your name in vain. I will remember your Sabbath day and keep it holy. I'll honor you, Father. I'm going to reach out to my brothers and sisters here. I'm not going to steal from my neighbor. I'm not going to commit adultery with his wife. I'm not going to covet his boat and his four-car garage or his job or his successful children. Not going to lie on him or her. All of these things, all of these commandments deal with how I deal with my relationships out here. 
The Sabbath is smack in the middle of those. Every one of those ten were repeated in the New Covenant except for the Sabbath principle. All the other nine are all repeated, carried over into the New Testament. And literally what that means is, now let me just say this, you are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The law never did save anybody. It it never was for the purpose of saving anybody. It was given to a people who were already saved by grace through faith, who'd been delivered from Egypt by the blood, the water, and the Spirit. But now the law of God is an information for me. It's It's a picture representing the holy character of God, my Father. Okay, And it's showing me I don't, earn, I don't keep it to earn my salvation. I don't keep the law to maintain my salvation. I'm saved by grace through faith alone in Christ alone regardless. Somebody say amen. amen. But the law now is there to show me a picture of by grace the life that now resides on the inside of me. It's not an external law that I have to keep. I have a new nature now that wants to do God's expectation. Come on somebody. But the reason all the nine were repeated and the Sabbath one wasn't is because Jesus Christ himself becomes our Sabbath rest for us. In the Old Covenant, they worked six days to earn their seventh day of rest. In the New Covenant, Jesus was resurrected on the first day of the week and our new creation week now begins in a day of rest. This is, we're here worshiping God. This is our Christian Sabbath. We set this day aside. Now, is it a sin if I cut my grass today? Well, if it's going to rain tomorrow? No, absolutely not. I mean, I think you all need to follow the principle of a Sabbath for the sake of getting rest in your body. My personal Sabbath is not Sunday because I preach two services. I lead worship. I'm all over the place sweating like a, like a ninja up here. And I'm telling you, whatever that means, it just came out. Uh, and I'm telling I'm working. This is not Sabbath for me. It's work. Monday is my Sabbath. I don't show up at this building. The only thing I do is get up and I read my Bible, drink my coffee, pray, talk to Jesus, and the rest of the day I go do something that has nothing to do with church. I don't read books. I do my devotional Bible reading, but I don't study the Bible on Monday. I have a day that I'm free from all of this stuff, from all this junk, the expectation, all the weight, all the stuff that you have. And let me just tell you, there's crazy stuff that people have in expectations on the preacher. Now, it's part of my job. Can I be real a little bit with you this morning? I just want to say something to you. I, I, everybody was so excited last week when I made the announcement quickly about how we're taking steps to get ready to break ground and build on that 30 acres it's paid for out there. Everybody got real excited. You know, this week we sat down as a pastoral staff and we said, you know what? We're struggling in areas where people have made commitments to show up and be a greeter, to take care of the nursery, to follow through with a commitment in the children's ministry to, you know, share a cup of coffee with folks in the cafe, get here early and put out chairs and help folks find a seat and all those different kinds of things. And I'm thinking, you know, when these people follow Jesus, when Jesus called Levi and he laid down his franchise that his daddy bought him, Now, can you imagine this is one more time. Alphaeus is probably going, you didn't make it into the priesthood and now you're just blowing off this whole thing that I bought for you. But Levi made a commitment to follow Jesus. And following Jesus means following through with your commitments. That's my only pointy point that I want to make this morning. This is Mother's Day, so everybody smile. Say it's going to be over in a few seconds. Tell somebody right now. 
we can go out here and build a building. And let me tell you something, what's going to happen, because we're, we're, we're about West Memphis's best-kept secret. Folks are just finding out about what God's doing at Victory, and it's just happening by word of mouth. We go out here and build this building, and I'm telling you, people are going to come like crazy. And I'm going, what are we going to do when I don't have teams in place that will actually keep their word and show up? Come on, let me just tell you, this is not church as usual around here at Victory. We, we, we're, not, we're not even doing it like that. It's not just, hey, I'll just go in and throw in my check and you know, they don't expect anything else from me. No, we're building a team. We're, de- we're building a family. We're building a community. This is a spiritual family. We need to be here for each other. There are days I don't feel like being the pastor. But I get up and I follow through and I keep my commitment. I mean, it's like the, the mama who knocked on the son's door and said, son, you got to get up and go to church. No, I don't want to, mom. Son, you got to get up and go to church. I don't want to. She, he said, why? He said, she said, because you're the pastor. That's why. <laughs> I have days like that. I have days like that. Mama said there'd be days like this. Let's get real. Let's keep it real in this room. We, if we're going to follow Jesus, it means learning how to make a commitment and then keeping it and following through and, and building leadership and, and, and building endurance, you know, being trustworthy, being able to be counted on. And let me tell you, there's a, there's a core element in this church of serving people that when others don't follow through, they'll just jump in, throw on an extra yoke around their neck, and they'll get under the plow and pull. And, oh, I thank God for you. But I want to tell you, I believe God wants everybody in this church finding a place of service for the sake of the kingdom of God, not only here on Sundays, but in this community. And that's what we're, we're building. It's about people that will follow Jesus and follow through in their commitments. Come on, somebody. Put your hands together. Jesus gives us rest that we begin in. It's not rest that we end in. We don't work to earn it. But now we start in rest. And out of that rest, we begin to work just because we love it so much. We love Jesus so much. My faith is the root of my salvation. My works are the fruits of my salvation. Faith is out from which it grows. Works are the, respon- are the response or the produce of it. I- I'm reminded briefly as I close this message of the Old Testament story of Jacob who had two wives and he worked for his uncle Laban and he loved Rachel. She was beautiful, sparkling eyes. And so Laban promised Rachel to him and seven years later he has his marriage night and he wakes up the next morning he looks in into the eyes of Leah. He woke up in bed with the wrong woman. Some of you going, I can't believe you said that in church. That's in your Bible. Look at your neighbor and say, read your Bible. (laughs) He works seven years and he wakes up with the law. Leah's a picture of the law. He goes to Laban and he says, this isn't right. Laban says, well, this is our custom. You have to take this and I'll give you Rachel. So immediately he says, just celebrate the marriage week with Leah, and next week we'll give you Rachel. So next week he marries Rachel. He says, but I want you to work seven more years. And it's an amazing picture of working seven to get something and then being disappointed in the the law, what the law could not do. And then being given the gift of salvation, which is a picture of grace in Rachel. And then it says he worked those seven years, but it says they were as but a few days because his love for Rachel was so great. Now he worked seven hard, grueling years to be disappointed in Leah. But then he received Rachel as a free gift of grace and he worked after that. That's the same principle for us. The old covenant is working six days and earning a day of rest, a Sabbath. 
The new covenant is we begin in the Sabbath. Jesus Christ has become our Sabbath rest. And it's out of that rest that we work to fulfill the calling to which he's called us. And this morning, I just want to ask you if you would, everybody, as they bring the lights down, every head bowed, every eye closed. Do you know that you have that personal place of Sabbath rest in your life? Is there peace? Is there joy? When somebody bumps your wineskin, does praise come out or is there a murmur? So this morning I want to address this to two different kinds of people in the room. Those who've never crossed the line of faith this morning, I believe Jesus is there waiting to literally take your hand and pick you up and carry you across. The gospel net is being cast. It's to everyone in the room. The Holy Spirit now is actively moving and working and touching the hearts of those who need to respond. If you've never crossed that line of faith, I want to give you a moment right now. Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. If you'd like to be included in this prayer, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to bring you to the front or anything like that or whisk you out to another room. No one looking around. If you'd like to be included in this prayer, just slip up your hand. Anyone in the room? Yes. Yes, thank you. Anyone else? Hallelujah. Pray with me right now. Father, those of you who lifted your hands, make this your prayer. Save me. Jesus, I trust you. Make those words your prayer. Come into my heart. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me that place of rest, Jesus. Some of you are like Levi this morning, been rejected, been disappointed. Jesus is stretching out his arms to say, I love you, I accept you, I see something in you. I want to make you what you never could be on your own. What, you were a disappointment to someone else. I'm going to make it greater than you ever dreamed of. Put your life in my hands. Now, the rest of you this morning, Jesus Christ is your personal Savior. And maybe you're at a place in your life where there's some dryness and you just need to know that Jesus is ready to pour in some fresh wine, make your wine skin new, to help you with the murmuring and to fill you with joy and praise. Whatever your circumstances today, if there's a little bit of Levi that you relate to, Jesus says, hey, I've got a new name for you. I've got something I want to call you, make you greater and better than you ever thought you could ever be in an identity that it's now connected to me, to Jesus, he says. Every head still bowed, every eye closed. If that's you this morning, you're a believer and you want to be, have, receive prayer, in this moment of prayer, would you just slip up your faith? Father, thank you that you see those hands that went up around this room. Lord, for wineskins that are empty, for murmuring hearts, Lord, for rejection letters, for hurts, for wounds. Lord, even for recovering Pharisees in this room, Lord, that acknowledge their, their self-righteous syndrome. Help us all, Jesus. We humble ourselves before you. Lord, receive and accept the Levites. Lord, heal those that are broken and wounded. Lord, we thank you in the name of Jesus Christ that you are our Sabbath rest and we enter into that rest by faith in Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, Amen. Put your hand